bear with me, okay? Because it's hard. Because there's a topic that we're going to talk about tonight in closing that has everything to do with what we're talking about to begin with. Can I get an amen? So we are in Genesis chapter 9, and we are going to start at verse 8. We left off last week with verse 7. And if you remember last week, we were talking about how it was now capital punishment got uh, instituted. God said if, if an animal or a man kills another man, that animal or that man's blood will be required of it, and it will be enacted or, or exacted by men, amen, by men. So capital punishment is definitely in view there, and we know that this carries on into the law. When the law is given, you know, uh, the, the term an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, a life for a life, amen. Uh, those things are all stem from this idea of capital punishment, okay, because God said that man was created in his image and his likeness, and we found that not only is it a sin, but it's actually a sin against God himself because we bear the image of God, irrespective if we are believers or unbelievers, every man, woman, and child on planet earth has the image of God in them, amen, which is why it's so important to stand against abortion, amen, because those are innocent people being murdered, and it is an affront not only against humanity, but against God who gave his image to those people, amen. That's the point of the discussion last week and the point of the discussion this week, as you will see, is the covenant that God is about to make with Noah. So I'm going to as quickly as we can get through this and talk about another portion of this that's very important in our day and age. Amen? So verse 8, it says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth, with you as many as came out of the ark it is for every beast of the earth i establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be flood to destroy the earth look at your neighbor and tell them never again what does that mean never mike what does the king james say right there No, 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 just right there in verse uh, verse 11, yeah. Neither shall there be any more, okay? It's the same vernacular, it's just 1873's English, and this is 2008 English, and the 2008 English says... Never again. Amen. Can you, can you confirm that that is exactly the intent of what's written in the King James Bible? Amen. Amen. Never again. Verse 12. And God said, this is the sign. Tap the neighbor on the shoulder and say, this is the sign. 
This is the sign of the covenant that I make. This is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Now, Mike, can you please tell me how the King James ends verse uh, 12 right there? Go ahead and read it. Just all of it. You can read it all. It's fine. For perpetual generations. That word perpetual means never ending. Amen. So let's understand that God is making this covenant for all future generations. He said, I'm making this covenant with Noah, with Noah's sons. And their offspring. Amen. And then all of the creatures that were in the boat for all generations. Amen. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And Noah, and God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would help us tonight to hear your word, to believe your word, to receive your word. Lord, we ask that you would move in our midst, that you would move on our hearts, that you would help us to live out what we read. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now I want to read a note here uh, concerning verses. I, I split this up between verse 8 through 11 and then verse 12 through 17. Because what you have in verse 8 through 11 is the, uh, the covenant that God is making. Okay, He's saying, I will not destroy any flesh on all the earth. And what you have... In the second portion is God showing you the sign, the seal of his covenant. Amen. That's the seal. This is what I'm, this, when you see this, notice he says, when you see the cloud in the sky, I will remember my covenant. Just let that sink in. Okay. Let that sink in for a minute. Uh, one little note here. God outlines the covenant. He is now establishing with all living creatures, having mentioned it briefly before the flood in 6.18, Genesis 6.18. This is the first covenant explicitly named in Genesis. See note on Genesis 2.17. A similar covenant is later established with Abraham and his descendants in chapter 17. A covenant, a, excuse me, a covenant formally binds two parties together in a relationship on the basis of the mutual per, uh, of a mutual personal commitment with consequences for keeping or breaking the commitment 
God makes this kind of covenant with a group of people by con uh, covenanting with one who represents them. Everyone else then experiences the covenant by virtue of being included in the representatives. Here, the animals are included as well as Noah's descendants, showing Noah to be a kind of new Adam, emphasizing that the covenant is for all living creatures. God states that there will, be, there will never again be a flood to destroy the whole earth. Now, I want to make mention here because they're talking about covenants. The covenant that we see with Israel in the law is different, right? There's stipulations on the people that they have to do this certain thing to be a part of the covenant, right? This covenant does not have those stipulations, okay? This covenant is not dependent on men doing something for God to keep this covenant. This is God saying, I am establishing, I am establishing my covenant with you that I will never do this again. And he doesn't say, unless this happens or unless that happens. And surely, just as you saw the rain the other day, you probably saw a rainbow the other day too. Amen? So the covenant is still in effect. Perpetual generations, we still see. Amen? Now, the Abrahamic covenant, although it began as just a covenant, God saying, hey, I'm, a, I'm with you. God's to, I'll go to the land, I'll show you, right? Eventually, it became a covenant where Abraham had to do something to show that he was in covenant with God. What did he do? What was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Circumcision. Amen. What was the sign of the Mosaic covenant? Most scholars will tell you the sign of the Mosaic covenant is the Sabbath. Okay? Most will tell you it was the Sabbath and Passover. Those, those things signified that covenant, amen? God brought them up out of the land of Egypt, right? And he passed over their sin. Then he institutes what? The law. And in the law, what was one of the most important aspects of the law? The Sabbath rest. Them observing the Sabbath. Them not being able to do anything on the Sabbath, amen? This is seen in that covenant, amen? Now, <clears throat> what's the covenant of, what's the, the sign of the new covenant? Huh? Baptism, the Lord's Supper, amen? Those are signs of the new covenant. Matter of fact, Jesus holding up the cup said, this is the cup of the new covenant, amen? So we understand that. Now, I would argue even that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely the sign of the covenant, the resurrection, number one, amen? Because him dying on the cross wouldn't have meant anything because many people died on the cross, amen? The fact that he got up out of the ground and rose from the dead proved everything, amen? So that is the linchpin of Christianity is the resurrection of Christ. And resurrection. Amen. Amen. I would agree with that on baptism. So we have here in verses 8 through 11, God establishing the covenant with not only Noah, not only his son, but all of the offspring that were to follow. Right? And then it 
Then it later on says, all perpetual generations, right? Not only that, it includes the animals. All the living creatures that came into the boat with Noah are included in this, right? It says, Behold, I, verse uh, 9, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth that is with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. Are you seeing how big this covenant is? Okay. Never before did God in scripture make a covenant with all of the earth. Amen. This is a big deal. God is not just making this covenant with man. He's not just making this covenant with Noah. He's not just making this covenant with tigers or giraffes, but with every living thing on the face of the earth for every generation. Amen. Never again. Amen. That's what stuck out to me in reading the covenant was God is not only promising it to Noah, his sons, and their offspring, he's promising it to every beast of the field and every generation that would ever come after that. This is promised to them. Amen. And God's promise is what? It will never again will the floodwaters destroy the earth. Never. Amen. I've got one more uh, note on this, on the second portion that I uh, separated out for you in verse 12 through 17. And it says different covenants have appropriate signs and symbols linked to them. Circumcision is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant in chapter 17. And the Sabbath is the sign of the covenant with the Israelites on Mount Sinai, Exodus 31, 12 through 17. Let's go to Exodus uh, 31, verse 12. I did, I, I did not look this up earlier, okay? So just bear with me. We're going to go and look this up. Generally, they don't give you a link to a specific verse like that unless it is absolutely applicable, right? So we're going to go look at this. Exodus 31, verse 12. And what does it say? And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, plural. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath. Because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does not, whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall be worked and shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth 
and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now, is that any more clear? Can we get any more clear than him saying, this is a sign of the covenant, the Sabbath. Amen? That's why I wanted to show you. That's why I wanted to read that to you. That Exodus, Mike, if you want to know what we're reading, Exodus 31 and 12 says, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And he goes on to explain that the Sabbath is to be kept. Anybody who breaks the Sabbath shall surely die. And that the Sabbath is a sign between Israel and God. And this is what happened on Mount Sinai when they came back. Amen. So we see that this is a sign. The, the circumcision was a sign. On this occasion, God designates a sign. It is the rainbow, Genesis 9 and 13. It, uh, its presence when rain clouds are in the sky will be a visible reminder of God's everlasting covenant, verse 16. It is not necessary to think of that rain. Uh, it is not necessary to think that rainbows first began to exist at this time. In any case, God says that He will now use rainbows as a sign of this covenant. This sign should not be interpreted as symbolizing that God has hung up His warrior's bow, since there is no hint of that meaning in the text. What are they trying to say? First of all, it's not to say that God is not going to judge sin or wrongdoing or evil. He's just promising that he's no longer going to destroy all life on the planet with water. That's his promise. And we know by 1 Peter that he, he does and intends on destroying this earth with fire. Okay? The, 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 heavens, uh, the, the heavens will melt like wax, right? The, the, the heavenly bodies will be on fire. The earth will be consumed, right? I don't know what, what other kind of language that would be other than the earth is going to be consumed. I mean, if we're reading the text for what it says, okay, Peter's not just giving them uh, uh, this warning to live godly lives because God's going to, you know, uh, symbolically destroy the earth. Why would he give a warning to live godly lives, holy and acceptable to God, with a fake warning or a, uh, a warning that is just symbolic, right? It doesn't make any sense. He's giving them a real warning saying, hey, there's going to be an end to all things and God's going to bring it in. When he, and, and Peter even goes as far as to say we expect a new heaven and a new earth, okay? That's in Peter's plain language that he, we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth, right? So the reality of and this ain't eschatology. This is fact. There is going to be a new heaven. There is going to be a new earth, okay? You can slice it and dice it if you think it's just going to be like when the flood happened. You know, it's the same earth, but it's got white clean, whatever. You can think that fire is going to do the same thing, okay? Uh, it could happen. There was a bush one time. It didn't. It was on fire, but didn't burn, okay? I can go with that, okay? God can, can destroy everything with fire, but the earth still lives, okay? I don't... It could happen. Reality is, everything else is gone. Amen? Peter, Peter's given us a very real warning about this. So it's not saying that, that God is like hanging up his, his uh, right to judge the earth. 
okay? He's just saying, I won't do it this way anymore, amen? A uh, few points that I noticed in here is that there's a pattern in here, okay? It says, this is a sign of the covenant between me uh, and you and all the animals, the, all the aforementioned groups, right? And then it says that when you see the bow in the sky, I want to look at that, okay? Mike, because I want to hear what the King James says right here, okay? Uh, verse 14 says, When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy the all flesh. What's the King James say right there? Uh, if that's what I read, sure. <laughs> Amen, amen. You notice how he said, I will remember my covenant. Do you think God forgot his covenant? First of all, that's my first question. Do you think God is like waiting for the next rainbow? Oh, there's my covenant. Yep, I remember now. I forgot about that for a minute. No, he's saying when you see it, you're going to know that God is remembering his covenant with all living flesh. Every time you see a rainbow, when you look at it, it should remind you that God himself is remembering his covenant. Amen? That time, every time it rains and you go outside and you see that rainbow in the clouds, you're getting a reminder from God. He's saying, I am remembering my covenant. Amen? Not saying that he forgot it. He's saying, I'm remembering it. See, I'm proving it to you. This bow's still in the sky. This bow's still in the sky. Here's my covenant. I'm remembering it. Amen. God forbid that he should ever forget his covenant because we would all be wiped off the face of the earth. The moment that God would ever have forgotten his covenant to never destroy the earth with water again, there would be such a deluge that this world could not handle. Everything on the planet earth would die just like it did then. Okay? Because I don't know about you, planes can't fly for very long, okay? They have to land sometime, right? And uh, people in outer space can't live without food and water and oxygen very long, okay? So if everything was destroyed on planet Earth by water again, even the astronauts would die eventually. They'd die from starvation, suffocation, or, or, or dehydration. But they'd die if God forgot his covenant. Amen. How many of you are thankful God remembers his covenants? Amen. Aren't you glad this covenant isn't dependent on you? Because <laughs> if God was like, okay, I won't destroy the earth if. Okay. Like as soon as he put the if in, we were done. Okay. Like if he had put an if clause in there, we would have been done. Right. Now, it, the first thing I notice on this pattern is, first he says, this is a sign of the covenant, right? And then he says, uh, this covenant between you and all the aforementioned animals for all generations. He says, I will remember the covenant. And then he says, never again will I destroy all life. And then he reinforces it with another 
when you see the bow in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. And then he says again, this is a sign. Or I'll remember my covenant. This is a sign of the covenant, the rainbow. Amen? So why are we, why did I give the clause last week that we were going to talk about the rainbow and its application today? Okay? Because this clearly is a sign from God. He's used the rainbow for what? A sign of his covenant. Amen? Just like circumcision is a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Just like uh, the, the Sabbath is a sign of the Mosaic covenant. Amen? We understand this sign is a sign of God's covenant. Not a sign that promotes sin. Amen? The reason I'm bringing this up is because we are in the midst of what is now called Gay Pride Month. Okay? And I hesitate to use that, but Gay Pride Month is probably beneficial for them that they have this because they're prideful, okay? The fact that they say we're proud of being gay, what are they saying? I don't care what God says. I don't care what God's word says. They're saying I don't care what the covenant of God says. I don't care what the New Testament says. I don't care what Jesus says about sexuality, I'm going to do me. That's normal human response, isn't it? Anyone outside of Christ, that's what they're going to do. They're going to do just exactly what their depraved heart wants them to do, okay? They're going to follow the inclinations of their flesh. They're going to follow the inclinations of the world. They're going to follow the inclinations of the devil. They're going to live like their father. Amen? Why? Because they're children of wrath, according to Romans. Amen? All of them, all of them are doing exactly what fallen man is supposed to do. It ain't right. It's not godly. And that's not what the rainbow's for. Amen? When I first hear the expression Gay Pride Month. It makes me think of something, okay? Anybody know what the definition of pride is? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Something close? An exaggerated self-esteem. That's what pride is. An exaggerated self-esteem. So gay pride is being overly uh, 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 exaggerating the self-worth of what being gay is all about, okay? It, so being gay is so important that they're prideful about it, okay? That's why they shove it right down your throat. That's why you have to do what they say or you're uh, a hater and a hypocrite. And you're intolerant. But the problem comes when they're breaking up nuclear families and, and moms and dads can't be moms and dads because the state wants to try to take the, 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 the gender pronouns away from us that are mother and father or he and she. The Bible says in 
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, that pride cometh before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Kyle, are you looking up the definition? Oh, no. Okay. The, the, the fact that we can live in a country that was founded on Judeo-Christian values of mothers and fathers who fought and bore children and raised families to live in a day where we celebrate sin so openly that we have a whole month dedicated to the sin of homosexuality, to the sin of gender dysphoria, which is absolutely ridiculous. Try to buy a bowl for milk. See how far that gets you. We're not meant to be with the same sex. We cannot procreate, populate this planet. We didn't do that to in the evolutionary gene pool, we had to be male and female to procreate and spread across the face of the earth. That's scientific fact and biblical fact. He created every living thing, male and female. Created he them. Right? That's why you got boy cats and girl cats. Do you notice that these general neutral terms do not apply to animals? Have you noticed that they don't apply these to animals? Do you know why? Because it's completely ridiculous to look at a, at a, at a, 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 a cow that milks and has teeth and gives birth to, to, to babies and call it a bull. It's dumb. It's not true. It is absolutely denying reality. And it's it's no different than the goofy Facebook meme that I saw go across about people who have babies. No, people don't have babies. Women have babies, okay? People can't have babies. Men cannot bear children. It is biologically impossible. Irregardless of how that male feels about being a male, the fact is he does not have ovaries. He does not have egg sacs. He does not produce eggs. He doesn't have a uterus. He cannot have a baby. That's a fact. Okay? LGBTQ plus two, three, nine, seventeen, whatever it is. Okay? It's ridiculous. God created us male and female. Celebrating gay pride Really? That's an oxymoron all in itself. To be prideful about one of the most egregious sins, God calls it an abomination. What verse is that, Philippians? Philippians 3.19. Let's go read that out loud so the people on the microphone can hear me, okay? Philippians 
This is the verse that Kyle thought of when we began this discussion, so I'm going to read it. It says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. To celebrate great gay pride, you have to be focused on earthly things, your own desires, your own inclinations, not what God says, because what God says is very clear. I want to start, now, I'm not even going to go read this story, okay? But we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We realize the sin that was happening there, right? If you want to go read it on your own, we, you can. And I'm going, to, I'm going to go there and tell you where to go. It's Genesis uh, you can read Genesis, the last half of verse uh, chapter 18 and all of chapter 19 specifically talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, talks about what those men wanted to do with those angels that were in that town. That they wanted to come into them, King James says, okay? The reality of the depravity of that sin would be further pointed out in Leviticus, okay? And that's where we're going to start. And a lot of people go, oh, you're reading the Levitical law. That don't apply today. Just hold on to your horses because I'll get to some New Testament texts that totally talk about it. Amen? Leviticus chapter 18. We're going to go through this very quickly. Leviticus 18 verse... 22, Leviticus 18, 22, and it says, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. That's what my Bible says. What does your Bible say? Go ahead and read, Mike. Kyle, what's yours say? 22. Okay, go to uh, Le Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guilt is upon them. Do you see that God did not just think it's an abomination? He puts the blood guilt of homosexuality on that person. Why? Because we find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which we're going to get to in a minute, that sexual sin is the only sin that sins against your own self. Amen? All other sins are outside of the body, but sexual immorality, which homosexuality falls in that category. Amen? Anything outside of a man and a woman in a monogamous married relationship is immoral sexual behavior. Period. Amen? Now watch this. Flip with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, 
And these are all verses that all of these people have heard a hundred million times. But the reality is they don't even understand that this verse is talking about them. You want to know why people think it's okay? You're about to read why people think it's okay. Okay? You're about to get a crash course in why they think it's okay. Romans chapter 1 verse 26 says this. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged natural functions for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also men abandoned their natural functions of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons their due penalty of their error. Now notice it says receiving in themselves. Amen. In themselves. Why in themselves? Because their blood guilt is upon them. According to Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13. Their blood guilt is upon themselves. Amen. And what we're seeing in Romans 1 and 26 27 is the fact that when their desire is burning one for another, men with men, women with women, they're going to reap in their own body the reward that they've chosen. Amen? Why? Because their blood guilt is upon their own head. One of the people go, well, this doesn't say that it's bad to commit homosexuality or it doesn't, you know, practicing homosexuality isn't wrong according to Romans 1.26. Says God gave us over to that. It doesn't mean that's what God wants for you. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 9 to verse 11, and then we're going to take a break and go to, to uh, uh, 1 Timothy, okay? So starting at verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Most important verse here is such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Can homosexuals be saved? Yes. Can adulterers be saved? Yes. Can, can thieves and fornicators and the effeminate, uh, the covetous or drunkards, can they be saved? Yes. But they cannot stay that way. The Bible says that the thief stops, stops stealing and work with his own hands. Amen? That the gospel of God would not be profaned. Amen? The reality is the born again experience does not allow for the homosexual to stay a homosexual. The born-again experience does not allow for the adulterer to stay an adulterer. The born-again experience does not allow for the murderer to keep murdering. 
I mean, this is the kind of thing that we're arguing when people go, well, I'm, you know, I am a homosexual, but I'm a Christian too. No! Either you were a homosexual and you're now a Christian, or you don't understand what it means to be born again. Even if you, I, now I'm not telling homosexuals, when you get saved, all desire for, for other sexes or for the same sex is going to disappear. Because let me ask you married people a question. Does your desire for the opposite sex disappear when you're all of a sudden get born again? No, you still look at guys, girls, hopefully you're looking at guys, you know, hopefully you, but you still look at guys and you go, oh, that, oh, hold on, I'm married. Right? You have to guard your eyes. Why? Because your natural woman, the natural man, wants those other things, right? It's like Mike and me and Kyle. Amen? We have to guard our own eyes because it's very easy for us to fall into temptation. Amen? Those desires don't just disappear, right? That's not reality. But I can't go and just sleep with any old salad, right? I'm married. I've got a wife. She knows how to shoot. Not only that, it's wrong. It's a sin. It's an affront to her. It's an affront to my own flesh. Amen? Homosexuality is no different. You must repent and believe the gospel. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 8 is where we're going to begin. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless. Now I want you to get this. He says it's made for those who are lawless. What's King James say right there, Mike? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Yes, knowing this, realizing the fact that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and for the sinner, for the unholy and the profane, for those who are killers of their fathers and mothers, for murderers, and for the immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. Now I want you to notice that he equates homosexuality with how he begins verse 9, realizing that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless, those who are rebellious. So here we're seeing homosexuality and all these other sins as rebellion, as lawlessness. This does not disappear in Christ. Both the, ch 
chapters that I just read to you are from the New Testament. And I could read Galatians uh, 5. I could read Ephesians 5, Revelation 22, verse 15. I mean, we can go on. Or we can realize there is a New Testament precedence that says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The rainbow does not represent these things. The rainbow represents the covenant of Almighty God that he will never again destroy the earth with water. It does not represent gay pride. It does not re uh, uh, represent uh, gender dysphoria or, or, or homosexuality or LGBTQ five times nine. You know, whatever other pronouns they got in there. Non-binary, which isn't a thing, okay? It's a fake thing. There's no such thing as non-binary people. You're either a boy or a girl. Now flip back with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 6. And I'm going to end right here. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. We're going to pick right back up where we left off, okay? Verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and uh, for food is for the stomach. And the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Did you catch that? The body is not for immorality. Amen? What body? Your body. Not only your body, but his body, the body of Christ. Amen? Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you know, or do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her. For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now watch this. He gives you an admonition here at the very end. Flee immorality. Now I believe that ESV says to flee sexual immorality, right? And now what it says, what's the, what's the King James said at verse 18, Mike? Flee fornication, which is sexual immorality. Amen? Flee. Flee fornication. Flee sexual immorality. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or the sexually immoral man. Or the fornicator sins against his own body. Are you seeing this? The ESV says the sexually immoral man, doesn't it? Isn't that what it says? The sexually immoral man sins against his own body. Now, here's the most famous verse that we, one of the most famous verses in all the scripture right here, and we take it out of context all the time. 
and we use it to talk about smoking or we use it to talk about overeating or we use it to talk about uh, any number of things dealing with the body, okay? But the context here is sexual sin. I want you to see this, okay? The context, 1 Corinthians 6, is sexual immorality, amen? Now it says, <laughs> verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Remember that verse? People used to use that verse to tell us, don't smoke cigarettes, right? Pastors would preach on this, and they'd say, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Or, or, or you know, drinking, and they'd say, well, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't drink, or you're gluttonous, and your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. This doesn't have anything to do with gluttony. It has nothing to do with smoking or drinking. It has everything to do with sexual immorality, because sexual sin is the only sin that we commit that's against our own self. And we reap, the own, we reap our own rewards from it according to Romans 1, 26 and 27, according to Leviticus 20 and 13. We, the, the, the blood guilt is upon us for that sin, which, ex, or Leviticus, excuse me, Leviticus 20 and 13, Leviticus uh, verse, uh, what is the other one in Leviticus? Uh, 1822, Leviticus 1822 calls an abomination. Amen. So this abomination that heats blood guilt upon myself, that I reap the reward of this sin in my own body, and this sin is absolutely against my own self, that's what they're trying to turn the rainbow into representing. Christians should stand up and be appalled. Because the rainbow represents the covenant that God made to never again destroy all life on planet Earth with water. It does not represent this deviant, abominable, sexual sin that heaps judgment upon oneself. That's what homosexuality does. Now, it's not different than any other sin because the reality is all sin heaps guilt upon you. And all of us stand guilty before God outside of Christ, period. Amen. So I'm not standing up here throwing stones at, at homosexuals and I'm not standing here throwing stones at adulterers uh, because but for the grace of God, there goes me. Because I've had my own sins that I struggled with. I've had my own uh, battles that I've had to wage against my flesh and beat my body into submission and some of it old age helped me with can I get an amen? amen the reality is we cannot celebrate or allow the world to adulterize the rainbow which is a covenant of God's promise for all generations amen I wanted to bring this up because there's so many people who are believing the cultural lie that it's just okay to be gay. And, you know, God, the, God's just all right with you being gay. No, he's not. 
God is not all right with you being gay any more than he's all right with you being a murderer. He's not all right with you being gay any more than he's all right with you being an adulterer or a rapist or a child molester. He's not all right with that, any of it. It's all sin. It all separates us from Christ. It all has to be repented of. It all has to be turned away from. Amen? We must reclaim the things of God. And I'm starting tonight with the rainbow. Amen? It's a sign. It's a sign of the covenant God made with every living thing on this planet. Amen? Let's stop. I want to stop because I'm going to keep going. Let's stand and we're going to pray. I want to pray for those who are celebrating Gay Pride Month. Amen? Let's pray for them. The Bible says to pray for those who speak ill of you. Pray for those who hate you and persecute you. Pray for your brother who's caught in sin. Amen? Pray for those who are lost. That they might receive Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that your word is very clear. Lord, your word is sufficient. First Timothy says that, it, that your word is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and correcting, Lord. It's, it, it's useful that the man of God may be fully equipped, fully furnished for every good work. Lord, we have dug into what the rainbow means and the promise that you gave to Noah and to all generations, which includes us. Lord, we're so thankful that you are faithful to your promise. We're so thankful that that bow is still in the sky, that you have still put your promise out there and have remembered it. But Lord, we lift up those who are trying to misuse and misrepresent what the rainbow actually stands for. And instead of just critiquing them and just pointing out their error and just pointing out their sin, God, we stand here as men and women who have been bought by bought with a price. Lord, those whom you have chosen, those whom you have elected and called and redeemed, Lord, we stand here with one heart and one mind and one voice, God, and we ask that you would save and redeem all those you would out of this movement. That, that Lord, that all of those who are, who are walking in their own pride about their sexual sin, God, that you would break their heart, that you would break their, their spirit, God, and let them see their actions as they truly are, God. Just like we had to see our own sin, God, I pray that you would help them to see their sin. That you would draw them unto yourself. That you would call and elect and save all those whom you will, God. And that you would be glorified in doing so. Lord, we pray that you would help us to stand firmly on your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us stand firmly on the truth of your word and not be moved. Lord, help us to be faithfully preaching the gospel, faithfully living the gospel, loving people, loving you, and sharing the gospel with everyone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.